0: Exodus chapter 17, we'll read there in just a minute, and I do appreciate the good singing at this church, always has been a blessing, I appreciate the good congregational singing, no, they fire you up to want to sing congregational singing with them, and uh, I, get, I like to sing out by the way, the problem is I can't read any music, zero, none, uh, I like to sing, I like to sing loud, and, and like last night we were singing that awakening chorus that I didn't really know, uh, maybe you all know it, and I'm sorry if I'm supposed to know it, but I didn't really know it, but I'm, I'm getting more and more fired up because he's just, you know, pumping you to sing. And I'm thinking, I'm going to blurt out at the completely wrong spot here in just a minute, but I'm going to do it, praise God. And uh, I appreciate how they sing and how you sing and we sing together. And then the spirit of the Lord just stirred my heart. And so I appreciate the choir, the special music, all of it is a blessing. That unseen hand... Uh, you know, don't underestimate the power that God can use of a song in your life. My brother-in-law passed away unexpectedly at 33 years old, several years ago. And, uh, we, we went through that week and it was just, you know, traumatic for my mother-in-law and father-in-law, my, my wife. And so we got to the next Sunday. It turned out the next Sunday after he had passed away, I wasn't preaching. We had a visiting evangelist and he was preaching on the Sunday night. And I was sitting up. I've got a set of stairs that I sit on when visiting preachers are preaching, and I kind of just—it's weird. Don't I'll talk to you about it later. But I sit on those stairs, and I was overlooking, you know, the congregation. My mother-in-law was right down below me, and he was preaching about the unseen hand. And in the middle of it, Brother Matthew, he sung that chorus, and I, I saw my mother-in-law. Listen, having just lost her son unexpectedly, able to, she just lifted both hands, tears in her eyes, while he was singing that chorus. And I thought, buddy, that's worth it all right there. That song ministered to God ministered to her soul through that song at a time of need. And boy, I thank the Lord for the music of this place. And I hope that you don't take it for granted, you that are from here, uh, because it is not like this everywhere you go. And so I thank the Lord for it. All right. Well, listen, you've been swimming in the deep end of the pool all week with these preachers that you've got. You can just come on over to the shallow side right now, okay? You can take your floaties off because we can sit down in the water that I work in. But I know the Brother Rogers and Brother Knox, Brother Alter, pretty sure that's why God did what he did last night. God said, I'm not even going to let you preach the Bible while they're all here. You're not even going to. You just sing. Lead them and sing it. And so uh, I pray the Lord will help me to be a blessing to you tonight. I believe that he wants to do that. Might not be for all of us, but I do believe it will be for some of us. Verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore, do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore, is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you now that you would uh, help me, Lord. Remove all that is me and that is flesh, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And bless the listeners as well. Remove the hindrances, the distractions, Lord, from our minds from some of the craziness of life that maybe they've had to deal with today and help us to be able to focus in on the word of God and Lord, what you wanna say to us. Lord, I have uh, no doubt that you want uh, somebody to hear something tonight. Maybe it's just a few, but I pray that those few would be encouraged and helped and maybe challenged and instructed a little bit tonight. Lord, help me to say my part, get out of the way and bless Lord, the brother Rogers as he comes in just a minute and feel him with the Holy Ghost as well. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus name. And all God's people say it. I'm going to work our way down through these verses, and I believe that the Lord has a truth for us from his word tonight that hopefully, as I said, can help somebody here. Give me your attention. I want to preach on this thought. I don't often give a title, but I'm going to give one tonight. I want to preach on this thought. Where is God standing? Where is God standing? Number one, I want you to see the pressing tribulation in this text. The Bible said that the children of Israel journeyed according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And so the first thing we got to understand is they find themselves with no water. That's a pretty big deal, by the way. The end of verse 1 says there was no water for the people to drink. And so they are in a legitimate need. How many of you would agree with that? A legitimate need? Say amen. I mean, this is not just, you know, I don't have as nice a car as I would like or as nice. This is a necessity of life. That there was no water. By the way, that's not just a problem for yourself. That's a problem for your children. That's a problem for the elderly. That's a real legitimate uh, tribulation. And as I mentioned, don't forget that God is the one that has led them here. It said in chapter 13 that from that point forward, they would be led by that pillar of a cloud in the day and they would be led by that pillar of fire at night. So they were following the cloud. They were following the pillar and they have ended up here where there is no water. And you might think to yourself, why did the Lord do that, my opinion is, and I believe the Bible bears this out, is that God wanted to work a miracle for them here. I believe that. I believe that God wanted to work a miracle to get them to learn that they could trust him. As a matter of fact, in chapter 13, verse 17, the Bible said this, that God led them not, when they came out of Egypt, listen to what it says, God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. In other words, there was a shorter route. When they came out of Egypt, there was a short route to where they were going, but God didn't lead them the short route. And here's what it says for God said, "Lest us peradventure the people when they see war and they, or excuse me, it said, Lest peradventure the people, repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God said, when he brought them out of, out of Egypt, I could take them this way. It's a shorter way, but I'm afraid that when they see the Philistines and they know the wars that are ahead of us, they're not quite ready to see that. And when they see see it, they'll repent. They'll turn and go back and they'll want to go back to Egypt. So instead he led them another way. And if you start following that, he led them through five little wilderness journeys. Now, not the 40 year wandering wilderness, five little small places where they would find themselves like this one here in some great need. My opinion is that God intended to take them to those places on purpose so that he might then miraculously meet those needs. So that the time when they finally did get to the edge of the promised land, and they did see the wars and the battles and all of that stuff, they would have learned that they could trust Him. They would be able to look at those little things and think, man, when we didn't have any water, God did an unbelievable miracle. When we didn't have this, God did that. And when that happened, God did that. And they would be able to look at those things and then say, and if God can do all of that, certainly God can take care of this. Now, we know that it didn't work out that way except for two of them. Joshua and Caleb did learn the lesson, by the way. Joshua and Caleb, even after they went and saw it for themselves as part of the spies, and the other 10 came back and said, oh, they're too big, and the cities are too big, and they're too many, and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, wait a minute. If God goes with us, then we're going to be all right. So it had worked in the heart of Joshua and Caleb, but we know it didn't work in the heart of everybody else. But I would submit to you that God has led them into this needy moment so that he could begin to prove himself to them by taking care of them. So the pressing tribulation. Number two, I want you to see the people's frustration in verse two and three, the people didn't chide with Moses. And the Bible said that they murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. So just as we often do, the children of Israel didn't respond very well to the fact that God had led them into this tough spot. And let's be honest, we don't like that either. As a matter of fact, we tell ourselves that if we ever find ourselves in a tough spot, uh, God must have not led me there. Right? We convince ourselves that anything God leads us into has to turn out well every time. And that's just not always the case. And so they get frustrated thinking, you know, uh, how did we end up here? And they don't handle it very well. They make a couple of mistakes that we often make when we find ourselves in tribulation after we feel like we've been following the Lord. The first mistake they make is we forget what God has already done. Aren't we bad about that? These people had already with their own eyes seen unbelievable, great and mighty miracles. Now God was going to try and show them some more, but they'd already seen the plagues. Just think about the plagues. Just think about how God would keep it in, in, uh, you know, on the Egyptians and not in Goshen. That would have been one of the most amazing parts to me when God turned the lights off over there, but there was still light in Goshen. I mean, was it at the fence line between the, you know, the cattle died in Egypt and not in Goshen. I mean, was there a fence line or was it just God drew the line? And all the cows over here were sick and none of the cows over there. Hey, listen, flies were like crazy and no flies and light and no light. I mean, wouldn't that have been an amazing thing to see? And they say all they saw all those plagues. Listen, they saw the parting of the Red Sea, which was an unbelievable miracle. They saw God wipe out the greatest army in the world at that time, saw God wipe them out. So they had seen these unbelievable things, but it seems like now when they find themselves in need of water, they have forgotten all those great things that God has already done. And and listen, we make that mistake, don't we? Aren't we quick to forget what God has already brought us through when we face the very next big thing? They make that mistake. Not only they forgot what God has already done. Here's what else we do. We forget how bad the old life was. Now, some of you grew up in church, and so there's not really an old life for you to think about, but others of you have lived out in the world. You've lived down in Egypt, and you have got to a place you recognize you need to get out of this. Boy, God, get me out of this, and God saves you out of it. Hey, if we're not careful uh, after we've been walking with God for a while, and then we find ourselves in some tribulation like they have here, we'll start forgetting how bad it really was. I mean, they did that right here. They, They said, you know, basically, again, we'd have been better off to stay in Egypt why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us here? You know what it says about their old life in Egypt? In Exodus chapter 2, it says the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. They cried and their cry came unto God by reason of the bondage. In chapter 1, several words of Exodus chapter 1 gives you the glimpse of what it was like. It said that they had set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. They were grieved. It says the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, made their lives bitter with hard bondage. And you know what the climax of it all is? The climax is they're murdering their baby boys. So that's what it was like back in Egypt. But isn't it, and it was so bad, by the way, that just like we would have done, they began to cry out, oh God, get us out of here, God, get us out of Egypt, they're killing our sons and we're in bitter bondage and it's unbelievable and we can't take it, get us out of here. And now they come to this place where they're in a new tribulation and the first thing they do is they forget what they've already seen God do and then they start looking back at Egypt and it doesn't look as bad as it used to. Hey, you be careful about that, that's blurred vision you're looking through. Oh, it's never better back in Egypt. The people's frustration. I want you to see the prophet's desperation. We're going somewhere now. In verse 4, Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. I just throw this in here so that I know we got a lot of preachers in here. Let me just say something to the rest of you. Uh, Understand the burden, if you can, sometimes that the leader carries. You see, Moses not only has the national burden to bear, he, I mean, he's dealing with the fact there's no water too. He's dealing with the fact in his own. By the way, don't ever doubt that we're telling ourselves the same thing you're saying to us, which is, are we supposed to be here? I mean, I got some deals going on right now that I felt certain was the will of God when I took it to the men and and we took it to the church and everybody thought it was a great idea and we're pretty far into one of them and it is absolutely insane and you can't help but look sometimes and think, man, maybe I was wrong. Maybe we weren't supposed to do this. Oh Lord, please help us if I've messed up. So I need, I need you to know something. Moses is already carrying that burden and now on top of the national burden, he's got a personal burden. Lord, not only is me and my family struggling for water too, but now they're, they're talking about killing me. And so just sometimes, if you would, when, when, when life is bringing tribulation to you, understand that the preacher, by the way, the preacher that is, is the right kind of pastor, he's carrying your burden. And be careful that you understand that, that you don't just turn his into something extra by your reaction to this tribulation God may have led you into. And so the, the prophet's desperation, but then here, the powerful demonstration, I'm going somewhere now, stay with me. And I've just took one drink. So we're good on water. If you was worried about it, I know some of it's for the road. I understand now, if indeed, and I believe so that God was trying to impress them, you know, with a miracle to prove to them that he could take care of them, then he certainly, he certainly should have done it with this miracle here. Now, this is another one of them times, though, that the way God records it, because by the way, what's an unbelievable thing to us is nothing to God. That's why when he says about all of the heavens, it just says he made the stars also. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal to us since we still can't even figure it all out with all of our modern science. And God was like, oh, yeah, I made those two. Yeah, it's not, you know, because it wasn't hard for God. And so here we read this and, and we read down here that uh, it says there shall come water, verse 6, there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Oh, so Moses, Moses hit the rock and water came out. How nice. And if we're not careful, we just read it like that. And we don't grasp really the magnitude of the miracle that took place right there because it's just written so simply. But you need to understand something. This, this wasn't like we just put a little spigot on the rock and the kids came one at a time and put their mouth under it, which we, we used to do, by the way, pre-COVID. You used to just drink out of the hose, right? And everybody drank out of the same hose and the same water bottle and all that. But, you know, sometimes we picture that. Oh, they got some water. They come and they fill their water bottle up. Everybody does that now. You know, everybody's filling up their own water bottle. Hey, that's not what we're talking about right here. They needed enough water for their families. The Bible says also their animals, And there's a lot of, you know, different opinions as to how many people were here. But, you know, I I think you could say easily there's a million people here, probably. Now, you think about how much water that is. You know, uh, they tell us now that men need 15 and a half cups of water per day. and Ladies need 11 and a half cups of water per day. And so if we just take the middle of that and say 13 and a half cups per person, that's 0.8 gallons per day. So that would be 800,000 gallons per day just for the people. Not counting the animals. That's a lot of water. That's not coming out of a spigot, just so you know. It's not going to, 800,000 a day is not coming out of a water hose. That's why the Bible in some other places talks about it like this. Psalm 78 says this, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Well, I just believe that's what it was. I believe that's what it would have taken to take care of all of them for all these days. And so it wasn't like Moses hit it and then a little water started coming and they're all so. I think he hit it and jumped out of the way is what I think. I think he hit it and he started turning and running like in the movies and the, the tidal waves coming behind him. Oh, Moses trying to get out of the way. Praise God. There was a big deal that God did right here. But listen, I want to just mention two things. This is where we'll focus our attention that God required of Moses before the miracle came. Now, the miracle's all God. Moses could not make that come out of that rock. But there was a couple of things God required of Moses before the miracle came. First of all, there was action required. God does the miracle, but there was a part for Moses to play. God doesn't just say, all right, I'm going to make water come out of that rock. No, he says, no, Moses, here's what I want you to do. You get those elders and you get that rod. You know the rod I'm talking about. And he said, and you go out and you hit the rock. And you know, when we find ourselves in a pressing tribulation, uh, there are going to be certain things that God may expect of us. I mean, if if we're having financial problems, I don't think we're just supposed to lay on the couch and just pray. Say amen right there. I think you're supposed to get up and go and try to find work and do whatever you can do while you're begging God to make the river come out right? And so there's something expected here. Uh, and we see that in other places in second Kings chapter four, uh, there was a story there. It said, now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, thy servant, my husband is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take him unto my, take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Now that's a serious problem. How many of you understand that? And by the way, uh, her husband has died. God decided that. And he was one that feared the Lord, but God decided he would die. And so God has led this woman into a serious tribulation. So serious now that she didn't just only lose her husband, she may lose her sons. She comes to Elisha. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And so there was was an expectation of her to start with. And she said, you know, we, we don't have anything. She said, uh, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. He said, go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. I love that part of that story, by the way. It's almost like he's winking at her. Don't just borrow a few. I'm not supposed to help you, but I want to help you a little here. You know, he could just see her going out and getting one, you know. I didn't know what, but I got these two. He's like, now look, don't borrow a few. And so listen what he says to her. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she had a part to play. Now God was going to do the miracle, but she had a part. Now here's the way that part works. It's, it's obedience by faith. That's what it is. It's obedience by faith. I've got to do what I know I'm supposed to do, trusting the Lord's going to do what I cannot do. Now, it's not always as simple as, and as plainly spelled out for us as it is in these two cases right here. Sometimes maybe our part is, is certainly to pray. We can pray in faith, believing, Lord, I'm in this situation. I believe you led me here. Lord, I need you to do something. But many times there's also a little bit more. By the way, there's all those things that everybody already knows we're supposed to do. We're all supposed to be reading the Bible every day, and we're all supposed to be praying, and we're all supposed to be attending church faithfully, and we're all supposed to be witnessing and giving. Those are things all Christians are supposed to do. So we got to make sure we're doing all of that, and even in this time of great tribulation, be faithful to do what you know you're supposed to do while you're begging God to do what you cannot do. So there was an expectation, there was action required of Moses. Of Moses, it was some obedience by faith. By the way, just going out with a stick and hitting a rock wasn't something that everybody did when they needed water. This was a thing of faith. Action by faith here. Certainly part of our responsibility would be to pray. Then here's where I really want to focus your attention. Is that not only there was action required, but there was accuracy required. I want you to look at verse 6. He says in verse five, You take the rod, the one where you smote the river, take it in thy hand and go. Behold, I will now notice if you underline your Bible, you ought to underline this stand. I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. What I want you to see here is this that Moses couldn't just hit this rock. He couldn't just hit any rock. You understand? He had something that was required of him. Get your rod, get these uh, leaders and you go out there and you're going to smite the rock. But Moses couldn't just hit any rock. Let me just say this too. He couldn't just hit this rock in any spot. There was a particular place where Moses had to put his effort. If he wanted to see the miracle come. That was going to get him out of this great tribulation. God said, I will stand before thee there upon the rock and thou shalt smite the rock. And there where I'm standing is where the water is going to come out. Do you know what I'm afraid happens to me many times? You know, I'm afraid happens to a lot of us Christians many times when we find ourselves in some of these hard places. If you're like me, as soon as they start forming, you go ahead and start figuring out how to fix them. And if you're also like me in my mind, which is my great enemy, you're already predicting way worse than what it even is. Because you want to figure out how to fix that problem when it comes. Because I know this is going to cause this and this and this. How many of you are like it? Anybody like that? You predictors of how bad it's possibly going to get. And then if that happens, here's how I've got to fix it. So many times, here's what happens to me. God leads us to a place and it's a place that turns into a place of tribulation. And we're, we're very confused as to, Lord, why did you do this? And am I even in the right place? But I, I thought I followed you and, and you're there. And all of a sudden you're, you're throwing your hands up. And then you think, well, we got to do something. By the way, I, I believe oftentimes there is something we ought to do. There is sometimes an action that is required. But here's what I have found. I've found myself sometimes taking the rod and I just decide to start hitting the rod where I think the answer is going to come from. And I start saying, Lord, here, here's what we're going to do. I, I, I believe this. Lord, here's what we're going to do. This is going to help us. Lord, bless this now. Lord, bless this. And boy, I just take the rod and I start hitting. But God's not standing there. You know what happens when you get busy and you're putting all your effort into this, but God's not standing there? No miracle. And I found myself beating it and beating it and beating it until the rod's beat down to a splinter no river has come you know what comes next? Frustration Lord I'm doing everything I know to do Lord I know you did this and you told me that and I believe you brought me here and now we're in this place and you're trying to teach me something but we can't just sit and do nothing and so Lord I'm doing this and we put all of our efforts sometimes by the way this just doesn't happen in spiritual things this happens in life we see it in other people's lives I've seen it in in lives I've seen it in relationships haven't you? Haven't you seen young people that decided, they've just decided this is the one? This is the one and they, by the way, sincerely, maybe they have prayed, maybe they have sought counsel and God's brought this, they think God's brought this person to them. But, but as you're watching, maybe as a, a, a leader, maybe as a pastor, maybe as a parent, and you can just see, man, this is just not working. By the way, they can both be good Christians and it still might not be working. But haven't you ever seen people that just couldn't accept that? Well, we'll just work at it. We'll just work at it. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to keep beating that rod on something that God's not standing there. And the end of that is going to be frustration. You can't force the miracle. It's got to be where God's standing. Haven't we seen that? I've seen that in businesses, haven't you? I've seen good intention, uh, I mean good Christian men and women and they just have prayed and they've saw the Lord and they've decided that God wants them to do this and they go into it and and then it's just not working and boy they just they just cannot accept it maybe maybe they're not supposed to keep going that way or maybe they wasn't supposed to do that to start maybe that wasn't exactly but boy you just see them and they're just you know what they'll do they'll just beat it down till they're so frustrated and listen what I have seen come many times is bitterness come then because they're upset at God that the river hasn't come out of this rock and we're still without water and God's saying, I never told you to hit it right there. I've seen it in the ministry. Our, uh, I've got a friend of mine and he's, he's a pastor now in another church in another part of the country but he was pastoring near us and what happened was there was a church and he didn't know all of this but it was actually it was actually a church split from us. Our our first pastor uh, fell into sin and done some things, and then about a year after he was gone, he went 15 miles down the interstate and started a church in the next town. Our second pastor, we've only had three, our second pastor came and pastored for about three years. At the end of those three years, there was some... Uh, turmoil between him and an assistant pastor that had been there for 20 years and it just became, you know, crazy and they butted heads and they ended up resigning on the same day. And so we, we thought that other mess was our worst mess. And to be honest with you, three or four years later, we were lower than we were when the pastor messed up the left. Well, that first pastor started his church 15 minutes that way. This second pastor, I'm not exaggerating. He went 15 minutes the other way and started his new church. I used to tell people we're church planners. We don't just send a man off by himself. We send him 30 or 40 or 50 and some piano players and some deacons and, and we just really hook a guy up, praise God. <laughs> well, that second one, it did real well. If You know, from the, from the outside looking in, they had good church for about a year. And then at the end of that year, it blew up again. When it blew up again, that pastor left again. And when he did, everybody that kind of had been at our church left it and it just left a handful of people. Now they had renovated a building and they had a mortgage on it and all this other stuff. And literally just about five people is all that was left. None of them really that I can remember had come from our church. They were just five that had come while they had been there that year. And they're still there. So they're, they're trying to keep their church going. They reach out to this young man that didn't go to our church. He went to another sister church in town, a good church. He had been saved off the bus routes and he had grown up in the church, got called to preach. He had run the bus ministry for his church and at this point he's probably, I'm going to say he's either either upper 20s or maybe low 30s and uh, he had a burning in his heart to serve the Lord and preach. One of the old people that were left in that church knew him and they called him and called this young preacher and said, hey, hey would you care to come preach for us? We've had a mess in our church is about all left we've got about five six people would you come and preach to five or six people and of course he's fired up he just wants to preach anywhere he said absolutely and he comes and preaches for him and he's he's a blessing you know he he's not preaching any he's just preaching about the Lord and it's just such a blessing to those people that before long they start saying to him would you be willing to take this church and try to save it try to pastor it and he prayed and I believe he prayed and asked the Lord he's a good man I'm telling you he's a good man Sought the Lord, but but uh, he he determined that, yes, the Lord wanted him to go there and pastor that church. So he goes, now remember, he's really pastoring our church split. Now he don't know that. He just sees four or five people in a building. He's pastoring them. So not long after he's pastoring there and, and he'd been working a secular job and was still doing that and doing both, he, he, he had reached out to us at our Christian school and somehow or another, I don't even know how it happened, somehow or another he reached out and we ended up hiring him to work for us at our Christian school and we ended up supporting financially the church. Now, think about that. We are financially supporting our church split. Now, I've never read that in a book. Anywhere. I don't think you're supposed to do that. But I didn't go to Bible college, so I didn't know. You know, I'm just, So if you know better, then don't do it. But I did it. We were supporting him financially. He's working for us at the school, so I got to know him pretty well. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. A good man, faithful, knocking doors, soul winning, doing all that he can do, trying to follow the Lord. And man, it just never would really go. Never would really go. He did it there for a little while, and, you know, they had some growth, and they had some good things happen, and uh, he's still struggling along, and he would come and want to meet with me, and we'd talk, and he finally got the idea that maybe it just needed a, a fresh start. Maybe it had, you know, uh, that other preacher maybe had... had. Uh, you know put a bad taste in some people's mouth or whatever so he had the idea that I'm going to change the name and everything and it'll be like a church play be like a fresh start and I said well brother if that's what you think you know you're working for us we're going to keep you here and we'll keep supporting you and so he does that he changes the name and tries to go that route and I'm telling you knocking doors soul winning and it just wouldn't go and it finally got down to the point that there wasn't even enough people there to really hardly keep having church and they were about to uh they were about to fail on that mortgage that that other group had left them. He comes to me and he's broken about it. He's tore up about it. And he's like, preacher, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? And he said, him and one other man had been basically paying the mortgage and the insurance and all that stuff. And he said, uh, what do you think we're supposed to do? And, and I, I felt like the Lord nudged me to have this conversation with him. And I called his name and I said, brother, let me, let me just say something to you. I said, I know how that church started. And I said, could it be? Well, I backed up. Let me back up and say, I asked him first this. I said, let me ask you this. Does God fail? He's like, oh, no. I said, that's right. Me and you both know God does not fail. And I said, would you say if a church gets to the place that it cannot pay its mortgage and it's going to foreclose and the bank's going to take it, that that's going to be a bad testimony on the church and on the Lord? And wouldn't that look like God failing? He's like, well, yeah, I said, but me and you both just said we know God doesn't fail. He said, right. I said, so then what's going on here? And here's what I said. I said, brother, could it be? Now, I don't claim to be super spiritual or wise, but I did say this. I said, brother, could it be that God didn't birth this church? I said, I don't know for sure. If you know, I think at that point he knew the history. I said, could it be that God didn't birth this church? You know how it started. I said, if that's the case. If God didn't plant this church and he never necessarily wanted that church to be there, then he's not responsible to keep it going. Would you agree with that? I mean, how are you going to hold God responsible for something he didn't tell somebody to do? And I said to him and I said, Brother Wayne, if that's the case... I said, if it's the case that God is looking at this and saying, now that doesn't mean that God hadn't done some good things. Because, by the way, you go in there and you preach the Bible and you give people the gospel, some good stuff's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit will bless some of that effort. But listen, when it come down to it, I said, Brother Wayne, if God did not birth this church, then he is not bound to keep it going. And I said, and if he's not going to keep it going, then it don't matter what you do. It don't matter how many doors you knock. It don't matter how much you pray. It don't matter. I said, you know what? You know what he was doing? He was taking his rod and he was just pounding it. And God was saying, I'm not standing there. So it doesn't matter how long you hit that rock with that stick. No rivers coming out. And I'm afraid we do that sometimes in our lives. As we find, our, I'm real bad about just going immediately into action. See, I told you that I predict all that might go wrong. So I like to cut all that off. See, I like to fix it before all of that ever even happens. And so many times I lunge right into action and I'm afraid there have been times that I've lunged myself into action and I've taken the rod and I've started just pounding and expecting a river to come and the river don't come and I start getting get frustrated at God And God's up there saying, why are you frustrated at me? I never told you to hit it there. I'm standing over here. I was going to fix it this way. You see, I don't know if God's like that. Well, turn to John 21. I'll give you one more example. And let me, uh, I've been 31 minutes right now. So I'm watching it. I've just taken two drinks of water so far. So we're doing great. I had a, a Dodge Charger a few years ago, and I'm not mechanically inclined at all. We were talking, me and Brother Rogers, we were talking last night about it, and my wife always laughs that when I say I'm going to fix something, she's like, well, who do you want me to call to fix it when you're done? That's kind of the way she is, because it's going to be worse after I fix it, you know? And uh, and so I had a Dodge Charger, and I'm not good about changing the oil on them and stuff like that. I'm, I'm just going, going, going. And so I pulled up beside a drive through and you know how the sound's bouncing off that wall, and you roll your window down, you and I could hear the engine was ticking. All right. Now, that's uh, you don't have to be a, you know, a mechanic to know that's not supposed to do that, certainly if it never ticked like that before. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I've, I've, and I thought, change the oil. You ain't changed the oil in forever. And so the first thing I did, I took it, and had the oil changed. And, and I thought maybe that fixed it. And I pulled up another time to a drive through and put, rolled the window down and it was still ticking. I thought, well, that's not good. I went to a couple of men in the church. I said, hey, listen to this. And I, and I cranked it, and let them hear it. And they could hear the ticking. And both of them said two different guys. Said, it sounds like the lifters. I said, now the lifters, that's, I said, that's take the engine apart to fix, right? And they said, oh yeah. I said, that's a major fail. That's going to be expensive. They're like, yeah. Well, it was right around December. It was the first of December. At that time, we had five kids in the house. So Christmas is very expensive when you got five kids in the house. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, all right, here's what I... I called my dad, by the way, back in Kentucky, who he can fix anything. He's like the old MacGyver, if you knew who that was. He can fix anything but duct tape and, you know, and, and a chicken wire and all that stuff. And I'm like, Dad, I need to talk to you. I said, my car, it's ticking. And some of the men in the church said, they think it's the lifters. And then I said, Dad, how bad is that? And he goes, well, son, just to be honest with you... He said, some of them will tick and you can drive them on forever. They'll just keep on ticking. He said, the other ones, they'll just blow up. And I thought, you didn't really help me none here, dad. I'd like for you to tell me what this one's going to do. Can I drive this one? He's like, ah, oh, you just can't ever tell. And I thought, ah. Oh. So here's what I decided. I thought, I'm going to drive till past Christmas. Now, I had 91000 on it. I'm going to drive till after Christmas, pay for Christmas, and then I know it's going to be at least $1,500 probably since they're going to have to take the engine apart, maybe more than that. This was several years ago. And I thought, once I get past Christmas, I'll have the car fixed and we'll be fine. Lord, here's where I start. Lord, I'm thinking, Lord, just keep it running. I'm thinking, Lord, just keep it running. But, but you know what I found out sometime later? I hadn't prayed yet. I hadn't prayed at all. I'd asked these men in the church to listen to it. I'd call and ask my dad, but I hadn't even prayed. But I write when I pray. I'm so wild brained. I can't stay focused. So I write things down while I'm praying. And I had written down this car deal. That's all I'd written in the prayer part, this car deal. So I'm praying down this list that I've made and I get down to it. And when I hit that word, the car deal, I said, and Lord, I need you to bless this car deal. I said, uh, just help it not to be too bad and help it to last until January. Right when I prayed that, a word came to my mind. The word was warranty. Well, I've never used a warranty. I've never bought a car new enough, really, that I thought I ever could use a warranty. And I thought, warranty? Then the next thing I thought, just bam, bam, was the commercials that all say five-year, hundred thousand mile. Powertrain? Well, I don't even know what a powertrain is. But I'm thinking, the motor's probably in that. (laughs) So warranty, power, warranty, five-year, 100000 I text the guy that sold me the car. He's in our church. He used car salesman. I text him. I said, any chance the engine in my charger is under warranty? He texts me back, five-year, 100000 Now, how many miles did I have on it? 91,000. He said, five year, a hundred thousand. Why? I called him, told him what was going on. I said, what do I do? He said, take it to the Dodge place. And I didn't know, I didn't know if they would charge me just to check and see. I called him. They said, no, it won't cost you anything for us to check and see. The short of it is it was the lifters. They changed them all and it didn't cost me anything. And they found there was a recall. It was an all wheel drive. There was a recall on the front drive shaft that none of us even knew about. They went ahead and fixed that. And none of it cost me anything. But you know what? Here's what I really believe. I believe God was not going to tell me that until I asked him. I'd already, listen, I was in action. All right, I had done talk to this man and talk to this man and talk to my dad. And I have this plan in place. I'm just going to drive it till after Christmas. We can't afford to do it right now. And all this other stuff. And I had it all figured out. It seemed like a good plan. And then I said, and God, will you help me? And God said, I've been waiting for you to say something warranty. Hey, have you ever thought about this? I've just been, I know you've only heard this story for 30 seconds, but in these 30 seconds, have you thought about this? If I'd have driven until January, first of all, how many of you know, I probably wouldn't have just went right in January either. I'd have been right back to traveling and all of that. But here's what's real possible. I'd have driven those other 9,000 miles and I'd have been over that 100,000 and they would have said, no luck boy. And I don't know what it would have cost me. What I'm telling you is this, I jumped to action and I was just, I mean, I was just beaten away over here. And if I had not stopped and said, Lord, help me with this car deal, he would never have said, I've already helped you. I already got it and it's all going to be paid for, but I'm standing over here. I'm not standing by those men. I'm not standing by your dad. I'm not standing over there in January. He was standing over there. Here in John chapter 21, they have found themselves in a tough situation as well. The Lord is gone and they're afraid and they're confused. And so they do uh, what we do. Oftentimes, Peter just makes a decision. And I don't know who's coming to the piano, brother. If they go ahead and come, that'd be a blessing. Peter makes a decision in verse three says, uh, I go a fishing. Now he wasn't going on a, a fishing trip for fun. This is a logical decision. To try to help fix the problem that they've got in their life. And the problem is we all left our lives and how to make a living and we've been following the Lord and now he's gone and we don't know what to do. And so Peter just makes a logical decision. Well, I know what we do know how to do. We know how to fish. And so let's just go do that. Let's just do something. And by the way, I told you, I do believe that we ought to try and do something. But the key is we got to try to figure out what that something is that God wants us to do and put our attention right there. And they go fishing and they have fished all night. And The Bible says they caught nothing. And then most of you know the intervention comes in verses 4 to 6. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. They knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now they'd been doing it all night without him. By the way, they were experienced. And it seemed like a good idea. Logically, it seemed like a good idea. But it is not how the Lord had planned to take care of them. But he shows up and he says, "Well, I tell you what. Why don't you do it again where I tell you?" And you know what happened? They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. You can go ahead and start playing if you would softly. And so it matters that you put your activity when you're trying to solve the problem that you find yourself in. There's some things we can do, but it does matter that we do our best to find where's he standing. And I just think maybe there's one or two of you that find yourself frustrated. You came to this meeting frustrated. And if you're honest, at times that frustration can almost turn toward the Lord. We don't want that. We know it's not right. If you're like me, you try to catch that and very quickly, you know, pull it back in. But you just think, Lord, I've been doing this and you led me here. And now look at this situation. and. Lord, I'm just doing everything I know to do. Maybe tonight we just come, a couple of us, and say, Lord, where are you standing? Where are you standing? Where do I cast my net? Where do I hit the rock in this deal? And just come and ask the Lord to give you some wisdom. Let's all stand. Their heads are bowed. Some are coming. How about you? Or maybe this. Maybe you've got somebody in your life and while I was preaching tonight, you started thinking about them. And your burden for somebody you know that's so frustrated in their life. They love God. They're trying to follow God. But it seems like it's just nothing's working out. Won't you come and say, Lord, will you show them where you're standing? Now, you got to be willing to hit the rock. You got to be willing to do what he says, where he's standing. But, but sometimes it's just, Lord, I don't know. I'm so frustrated. Hey, don't be frustrated with God. That's not going to help anybody. Is there something in your life you've been working frantically to fix and haven't really even prayed about it like I was in my car? I mean, you kind of think you're trusting the Lord. Like I remember thinking, the Lord, you're gonna have to keep this thing running until January, but I'd never really prayed and asked him. Well, I mean, that was just a little thing. Yeah, but listen, if that engine would have blown and I'd have had to pay to get it all fixed, that would have been pretty frustrating. That would have been a problem for us in our life at that time. And God was up there with the answer, but he was waiting for me to ask him. Waiting for me to do my part by faith. And as you say, I've been asking, I've been asking, I still can't see where he's at. Then you find out the things that you know for sure are the will of God and you do those as faithfully as you can. The things that for sure are the will of God, you do them as faithfully as you can while you wait on him to show you where to smite the rock. And I believe God will show you in time. Father, I pray you'd bless these that are praying and maybe some that are even still in their seats, but you've spoke to their heart. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're a good God and that when you lead us into places that turn into tribulation, you have a reason. It's never because you're mean or unfair or uncaring. Lord, you love us and you've got good things in mind. But sometimes we have to go through these things. And Lord, I pray right now for those that have been frustrated that you would give them some peace tonight. I pray that you would give them some direction. Lord, help them to uh, understand what it is maybe you need them to do and where they need to put their effort. Lord, if, you, if you're not ready to show them that, then help them to be uh, able to have peace and knowing that you're there and that you're watching and that Lord, if they'll just be faithful in the few things they do know for sure that you'll, you'll in time show them where the exit is, where the miracle is. I pray that you'd comfort them with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher.